Let's try again. All right. Good morning. Welcome to Peoples. My name is Tyler. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. We're going to be jumping in. Before we do, I have, I have just a quick story to tell you. See, it all started with one word. One word. I was in a hotel room in Antigua, Guatemala. I had been on a mission trip for a whole year. We went around the, the whole globe. We had done, been to 12 countries in 12 months. I'd done a bunch of different things. But I was in this hotel room, and I had a dilemma. It was a good dilemma, but it was a dilemma. You see, I had fallen for this beautiful lady, and her name was Karen. But the dilemma was that she was from a whole other country on the whole other side of the continent, and I didn't know what to do. And so I had this tension. I had this dilemma. Lord, do I pursue her? Is this going to go anywhere? I don't want to sow my love and my affection and my energy into something that's not going to matter. It's not going to last. What do I do? And so I'm sitting in this hotel room by myself and I'm praying, Lord, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And after a while, I heard the Lord say this one thing. He said, pursue. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to go. Green light. I'm a man on a mission. I'm ready to put legs behind this word. I'm ready to go. But I heard the Lord say pursue, and I believed him. I had faith that that was his word. I believed that he was speaking to me. And let's just say that that word started to shape my life, right? So we were only a few days from coming home. I got home, and I took a good shower because I needed it. I think my family would tell you that. I needed it. I snuck a little bit. I shaved this humongous beard that I'd been growing, and then the plan got into motion, right? I started Facebooking. Karen, can we set up a time to meet? And we set up this time to meet, and it was probably one of the more awkward conversations of my life because I was trying to build up the courage to tell her how I feel. Come on, guys. Sometimes we got to build ourselves up a little bit, right? I had to build myself up, but she was making sure that I had plenty of space to say what I I needed to, but that lent itself to an awkward conversation, right? It's a lot of awkward space. But we, we had this conversation, and then I went down to Atlanta, five-hour drive, five-hour back in the same day, just to see her for a couple of hours. She was coming through, and she went to India. Then I flew her back here. And guys, from that point, this relationship started budding. But I started pursuing because it's what the Lord had said, okay? I had faith in what he said, and it began to shape the way I lived, unto a trip to British Columbia, unto a conversation with her parents, and then getting engaged, and then submitting immigration papers, and then planning a wedding. All of this started with one word, but it happened because I believed what God was saying, and then I joined in to pursue. Today we're starting a new series called Living Faith, and we're really excited about it. It's going to be a six-week study through the book of James. And my wife would tell you that many times in conversation, maybe there's somebody like me in here, but I just want to get to the main point. Anybody else? (laughs) I appreciate the story, but can you get to the main point? Like, I just want to know what's going on in the story. Let's get to the main point. So here's the main point of the series. I'm going to give it to you from the very beginning. Living faith always shapes the way we live. Okay? A living faith, a faith that's alive, always shapes the way we live. Because how many of you guys know that faith is not just an internal reality? It's not just something that happens in our minds or our hearts. Our faith is always lived. It's always expressed in the way we talk to our coworker, in the way we treat our kids, in the way we don't beep at, or maybe beep the horn at the person who cuts us off in traffic, right? However that happens, look at our faith is always lived. But often for many of us, there's a humongous gap between what we say we believe and what we actually do. And so in this six-week series, we want to jump into the book of James because James wants to help us close that gap and learn how to apply God's word to the way 
we live. Now, as we jump into the book of James, what you're going to find is it's arguably one of the more practical books in the New Testament. Some even call it the Proverbs of the New Testament because it has such practical wisdom to it. But James is pretty direct, okay? Out of 108 verses, 54 of those verses, half, are commands. He's given us some serious direction. He's like, I'll tell you exactly what you need to do. And so we're going to jump in and we're going to receive from James. So if you would, turn your Bibles with me to James 1. And we're going to read verse 1 together. And then we're going to get some context on the book. James 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. All right, so as we pick up the book, first we have the author identifying himself. He says that his name is James. The only problem with that is that James was a super common name. Jesus had two disciples named James. Jesus had a brother named James. So the question starts to become, which James is writing this book and the author doesn't tell us and as you start to to unfold the different passages you can start to try to dig some of this out but it's generally accepted by most all scholars that this was the brother of Jesus who is writing this book and I find that really interesting even as I was digging in this week studying a little bit you start to get a little bit of insight into Jesus's family go back to Matthew 13 with me real fast we're just going to hit this because this is interesting okay is that okay can we take just a, a second bunny trail Matthew 13. All right, Matthew 13, verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And he said, where did this man get wisdom and mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? He's talking about Joseph, okay? So we're going to start getting insight into Jesus' family. Is his mother not called Mary? So we, we see Joseph and Mary, okay? Then he goes on, are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? How many of you guys know that Jesus had four brothers, okay? These are his four brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Judas is actually another New Testament writer. His name is Jude, got shortened, but he also wrote a book of the New Testament, but we see his four brothers, and not only did he have four brothers, but it goes on and it says, and are not all his sisters with us, so there's multiple sisters, so we see Jesus came from a pretty big family, but he had four brothers, and James is one of his brothers, now let's just be clear, I'm going to call him his brother, he's his half-brother, okay, they had the same mom, they didn't have the same dad, so all right, let's just be clear, they're half-brothers, but they're brothers, all right? And so we see Jesus and his family, and you would think as Jesus, he starts launching his ministry that his family would be in his corner, right? Not so much. Turn to John 7 with me. We're just getting a little bit of context for who James is and his experience with Jesus before we start jumping into the book. Jump to John 7 with me, verse 5. And John puts it very clearly. John 7, verse 5. He says, for not even his brothers believed in him. <laughs> so you have Jesus, he's, in this context, he's teaching up in northern Israel in Galilee near his hometown. And it says, not even his brothers believed in him. I don't know about you guys, sometimes the, the, the biggest knife in the back comes from the people closest to you. And I don't think Jesus felt that way. But it's like, all the people out there, all the Pharisees not believing, that's one thing. But not even his brothers believed in him. And so we see James, even though he lived with Jesus, grew up with Jesus, when Jesus launched his ministry, he's like, ah, I don't know. Yeah, you're doing some miracles. Yeah, you're claiming to be this Messiah, this Savior, this promised one. I'm not so sure. 
They even tell the, his brothers tell Jesus, they're like, listen, you need to go down to Judea. If you think you're somebody, then you need to go down to Jerusalem and show everybody who you are. But not even his brothers believe. But sometime between this interaction and after Jesus' death and resurrection, James had an encounter. Like many of us, right? We had an encounter with God and he turned from doubt and disbelief to belief in Jesus as the promised one. And we see this multiple times from 1 Corinthians 15, even into Galatians. But James, Jesus' brother, he didn't just come to faith, but he got established as one of the primary leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Okay, Now Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, it's the mother church. All other Christian churches get planted out of Jerusalem because that's where the church started. And James, the half-brother, he gets established as one of the leaders. Paul calls him, he calls him a pillar. A pillar of that church. And so we see James on this journey from disbelief and doubt to encounter and faith to being used by God. But let's just say James had some, some history with Jesus. He spent some time close up with Jesus. He knows how to walk this thing out and he's going to give us some practical insight. All right, go back to James with me. And if you can, stand up because we're going to read a passage just to honor God's word and stretch your legs a little bit if you're able. All right, James 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, various kinds of trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking and nothing. All right, you may be seated. So what we're going to find is that James, he jumps right in. He, he's named who he is. Okay, it says in verse 1 that he's writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. He's writing to the Jewish people who've been dispersed from Jerusalem out into northern Israel, out into Gentile cities. That's non, non-Jewish cities because they've been trying to get away from the hardship that's happening inside of Israel. Okay, There's a lot of persecution and hardship coming their way. So they've dispersed and James is writing into this context. And so it might seem like he's just coming in hard, but those are, who are in dispersion are in trial. Okay, And so he jumps straight in and there's this assumption of hardship. It's not when, it's if. I mean, it's not if, it's when, right? And so he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so we're going to start with this phrase, when you meet trials of various kinds. He says, when you meet trials, not if you meet trials. There's an expectation of trial in our lives. Jesus said it like this in John 16, 33. He said, in this world, you have tribulation. While you're here, you're going to go through trial. You're going to go through hardship. You're going to go through challenging things. It's part of being a part of this world. He says, when you meet, I think, at least in the ESV, it sounds very cordial, when you meet various kinds of trials. It sounds sounds like I'm at a dinner party with a bunch of friends and I'm meeting someone, right? It sounds very cordial, but oftentimes, at least in my life, trials don't come that cordially, right? It's actually quite opposite. They come very quickly. They come very suddenly. In the Greek, the word actually means to fall into. And I think that's a very great analogy. It's like, hey, I I feel fine. And then, you know what? Out of nowhere, I get this pain in my side, and the next day I'm at a doctor's appointment, and now I have a diagnosis. It's like it comes very quickly. Hey, I'm driving along, and my car is working fine, and boom, blew a head gasket, and now my car is on the side of the road. It's like the trials, they come quickly. Oftentimes it feels like we fall into them. 
He says, but when you fall into various kinds of trials, and so one of the questions is, what kind of trials are in view here? And, and it's, it's very clear, various kinds, all different kinds, different shapes, different sizes, different, um, different types of like, difficulty. Okay, it can be short, it could be a, a long trial, it could be an easy trial, it could be a hard trial. There's all different kinds of trials. And he says it doesn't matter which kind of trial, when you meet them, when you face them, when you encounter hardship. And guys, this is, this is important for us because this is the very essence of life on earth, is that we're going to endure trial. Okay, I love J.O. Williams, he said this, he said, you're either in a trial you're coming out of a trial, or you're about to go into a trial. <laughs> you're, you're one of those three, all right? You're either in it, you're coming out of it, or you're about to go into one, because this is, Lord, the, the gravity of, of life, is that we continually walk through trials. And so we have in this, he says, listen, when you fall into the, all the different types of trials, he says, I want you to count it all joy. Has anybody else been ever confronted by this phrase? Maybe you heard it before. Count it all joy. Not count some joy, not count a little bit joy. Count it all joy. All the things that are happening to you, I want you to count it. And uh, I think I'm probably sensitive to that word because I have a bunch, like a two, four, six, and eight-year-old, and we do a lot of counting in my house, right? And how many of you guys know sometimes some miscounting happens? <laughs> we can miscount. My, my four-year-old, he'll go 14, 17, 22. Like he's trying to figure things out. And sometimes this is the way we can miscount trials. We can have a wrong mindset. We can count them. We can think about them wrongly. And right as we jump in to James, he's coming after the way we look at hardship. The way we look at hardship. Here's the first point for you today, okay? The way we view hardship determines how we respond to it, okay? The way we view hardship determines how we respond to it. And so he's saying, listen, the first thing you have to know is you have to count it. The word count, it literally means to mull over facts and come to a conclusion. It means to think about something really logically and come to the conclusion. It's, hey, I want you to come to the conclusion that all these trials are joy, that they're a blessing from God. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Come to the conclusion, my brothers, that when you meet these hardships, it's a blessing from God. It's a blessing from God. I don't know about you guys, but I don't always do that. That's, that can be hard. I'll tell you a quick story. We were traveling over Christmas, and we were heading back. We had a, a long trip. Our, my, my wife, her, her family's from Vancouver Island. So you have to take a ferry. On the way back, you have to take a ferry. Then we had to drive down to Seattle, which is another three and a half hours. And then we had to take a five and a half hour flight, about five hour flight to Raleigh, all right? With four kids <laughs> all day long. And, and let me just say this to the general public, listen, we're trying to keep our kids in, in check as best as we can, all right? <laughs> Give us grace. Well, look, we know sitting on the plane that it's a nuisance for you to listen to our kids scream. Listen, it's a nuisance for us to listen to our kids scream. We understand, all right? But we have these four kids on the plane. We have a whole row, and we're sitting there. Everybody's having kind of a tough time sleeping. I'm holding my, my, my son, Josiah, and he's laying there about three hours in, and he's coughing a lot. Sometimes he gets coughing so much, he, he kind of has that gag reflex. And so he starts coughing and coughing. We're trying to get him something to calm down the coughing. And lo and behold, here it comes. Throw up. Boom, 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 boom. 
and now I'm wearing this warm substance and my son's sitting there and the stewardess is looking at us like, you need help. And I'm thinking, I absolutely need some help. And so we're trying to like maneuver stuff. And guys, this is a small trial, but I'm feeling the trial. I'm feeling the, the social pressure to keep everything under control. Like we're all like pinned in together. I got this like dirty substance that could pass on sickness. Like I'm feeling it. So we're trying to like get things. And then, oh no, he starts coughing again. Here it comes again, right? And now I'm wearing more. And now we're trying to social, like trying to get everything and trying to keep the other kids asleep. And we're trying to figure this thing out. But let's just say in that moment, it wasn't counted as joy <laughs> all right I wasn't counting that as joy I was counting that as a, a nuisance as an inconvenience and we were loving on him we got him taken care of and we tried to clean up as best as we could we finished the flight but let's just say hardship trial can come and sometimes it's hard to count it as joy now one distinction here is he's not saying you have to count it pleasant you don't have to count it as a pleasure come on Chick-fil-A people, you're always saying my pleasure. Some things aren't my pleasure. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Some things are not my pleasure. All right? Maybe it's a joy and a blessing. We're going to see why we can count it a, a joy and a blessing. But some things aren't my pleasure. And, and, and I don't think that's what he's saying here. He said, but you can count it a blessing. You can count it a joy. And this is why, okay? I believe this is one of the key verses in this little passage. He says, for you know. Why can you count this trial to be a joy, that, that almost seems counterintuitive. That's everything that you know, like goes against everything that we feel as humans. He says, for you know that trials, that they're the testing of your faith and they produce steadfastness. Listen to this. You can count all your, your trials as joy because you know they're producing something in you. Guys, listen to me. Trials, they're like an instrument in the hand of God. And he's using all of them to produce steadfastness in you. He's using it to strengthen your faith. He's using it to make you more whole, to make you more complete. And so we can count it a blessing, not a pleasure, but a blessing. Because we know that when we're walking through the fire, he's using it to forge us, to refine us, and to make us look more like him. But this is mind shift right it's a mind shift we have to shift the way we think about hardship often we can see hardship as inconvenience as nuisance as just this thing that we don't like and because of that you know what it leads to it leads to this resistance it leads us feeling angry it feels to us complaining how about you guys sometimes we can get getting that oh man why did my you know, it's like my, my car messed up again. Golly, Lord, why are you doing this to me? You know, I couldn't afford this right now. Whatever that may be, you can move into complaining because we're not viewing it right. We're not counting it right. And it's determining a wrong response. And so right off the get-go, we see James. He comes in and he says, listen, we need to count it as joy. We need to count it as joy. We need to count it as joy. We need to change our minds. And we need to view trials in link with what God is using them to do in us. He's producing steadfastness in us. Now, actually, the, the language here, it actually says that the, the, the trials, they're a testing of our faith. They're a testing of our faith. And because my, I have my two oldest daughters, they're in the Spanish immersion program. The last couple months, they've been doing a lot of testing, a lot of testing. They'll come home tired. They're just testing so much. And one day, my, my daughter said, I think, Mira, 
she's sick. She's like, I think we're done. Like, I think we're done. I was like, girl, you're never going to be done with testing. <laughs> you got a lot more tests in your future, all right? You might think you're, you're done for this moment, but you're not done. There's a lot more tests coming your way because here is the reality. When you learn something in school, then you're automatically going to get tested on it. Because how do you know that you know it? You th I, I think I learned these vocabulary words, but I don't know that I learned them until the test comes, right? And it's the same in our faith. It's that God, he's growing us, but as he's growing us, he's coming to test our faith. Because the test, the trial, reveals what you actually believe. The word, the testing of our faith, I love it because it's so little. It means the proving. The trial comes to prove what you believe. It comes to prove what you believe. And it's producing something in us. It's producing. As you go through the test, as you score well, it's producing something in you. It says it's producing steadfastness. It's producing steadfastness. The, the word, it literally means to be immovable, unshakable. To not be swayed, unwavering. This is the idea that as you come through the trial... And you've been holding on to faith, you've been believing God, you've been counting it joy, then your faith gets a little bit stronger and you become a little bit more immovable. Isn't that a blessing? And often, this is always the place of growth. Listen, everybody's high-fiving when the blue sky's out, right? <laughs> Yeah, buddy, bless the Lord. This is good. This is awesome. My life is great. I got money in the bank. My house is in good control. My relationship's good. Everything's good. High five. Bless the Lord. Everything's good. But when the trial comes, when the hardship comes, it starts to reveal what you actually believe. It's coming to test your faith. Are you going to hold on? To that very thing you said you believed about God, that he's good, that he's faithful, that we're singing of just a few minutes ago. When the trial comes, can you hold on to that truth and still declare and still believe it? And if you can't, if you continue to hold on to him, Lord, I can't, I can't see the way forward, Lord, I don't know how to get through this, but I believe you're good, I believe you're kind. And, and then the trial lets up, and then what you find is you're more resolved. That you believe him, that you're more immoved, immovable, that you're more unwavering in your faith than ever because you passed the test and he produced something in you. We count it joy because we know that he's using the trial to produce something in us. It's like you guys have heard that politicians, they, they will never let a good catastrophe go without being used, right? They're going to try to get their, their policies into this catastrophe bill. They're going to use it, right? Like, they're not going to go let, let a catastrophe be unused. Guys, listen, God, he's not going to let a trial be unused in your life. He's producing something in us. He's producing steadfastness. And it actually says in verse 4, it says, and if you let steadfastness have its full effect, then you may become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. And the word perfect here, it's not perfect in the way we think about it. Like Jesus was perfect, flawless. It, it literally means to be whole. And he says, listen, as you come through the trial, as your, your faith is tested and steadfastness, this unwavering is produced in you, then you're going to be whole. That you're going to be complete in faith. But it doesn't come without the trial. It doesn't come without the trial. And so how we view hardship really matters. How we view suffering really matters because it, it, it determines how we respond 
to him. And so as we, we're going to move on because this is just one point. <laughs> all right. This is just one point. We're just warming up. We've got a whole other thing to get to. All right. But this is just one point. How do we respond to trials? The first one is that we count it joy. That we count it joy. And how do we apply that? Guys, listen, mind shifts. Okay. Changing your mind, changing the way you view things, it takes time. Okay, like you're probably not going to do it perfectly tomorrow, but we start. We start somewhere. Instead of complaining, we're going to be thankful. When your tire blows, you say, instead of, you know, like you start going after the complaints, then you start going after thank you. Or maybe you start practicing thankfulness instead of complaining and grumbling. This is one way that we start to shift our minds is by declaring the goodness and faithfulness of God when hardship comes towards us. Now, go to verse 16. We're going to be skipping a few passages here. And the reason why is because there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. All right. But we want to get to this one point because one piece of trials is that when we're going through trials, often we're more vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Okay. We're more vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And I love this. Verse 16, he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. And this is, this is the idea. And this is the same context of trials. Okay, he, he talks about, listen, if you're lacking wisdom in trials, listen, it, you, can, you can, don't compare in trials, don't point your finger at God in trials. He starts addressing some things. But he comes down and he says, listen, in the midst of trial, it can reveal and start to stir up doubts in our hearts. Now, you've been going through something and then you start to look up and say, God, are you even good? Are you even faithful? Are you even kind? Because if you were, how would you allow this? How would you let this thing happen? And the doubts can start to creep in. And I love James because he comes back to nail this thing down. He said, do not be deceived. Don't let your mind be drawn away from the truth that God is good, that he's a giver, that he provides, that he's kind, that he's for you, that he'll never change. I love that he comes to nail these truths down. You see, he says, every good gift, every perfect gift comes from the Father. He's a giver. Every good thing comes from him. He's using your trial, but he's also the one who gives you every good thing. It's who he is. Then he goes on and says, there's no variation or shadow due to change. He says he doesn't change at all. He's good, and it's never changing. It doesn't matter what you go through. Verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I love this. You guys might remember the disciples. Some of them were in boats. They were in different places, and Jesus went and got them. He went and called them to himself. It was by his own will. He brought them forth. And it's the same for us, that he brought us forth by his own will. We were all running in darkness, rebellious, far away from him. And he went and initiated by his own will to call us to himself because he's for us. He's for us. He wants the best for you. But the way he views best and the way we view best often are different. But before we move on, listen, God is good. All the time. You guys remember that? God is good all the time. 
and all the time, God is good. And in the context, James is saying, don't be swayed from this truth when hardship comes our way. Because you're going to be vulnerable. You're going to be prone to start maybe thinking wrong things about God. But let me just confirm this for you. He is always good. All right, go to James 5 with me. And we'll start closing this up. You see, if we start taking suffering on by, and, and, and trials on by theme in James, you're going to see that James begins and ends with this theme. James 5, verse 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast and movable. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so the first point of today was this. It was that when we encounter trials, we need to shift the way we think about it. We need to count trials as joy. But on the other hand, he says, I want you to count it as joy, but I also want you to be patient. Ooh, I don't know about you guys, when my kids start screaming, sometimes that feels like a trial. You know what I want to do? I want to stop it as soon as possible. <laughs> as soon as I can stop that scream would be great. And often this is the way that, that we endure trials. It's we want to stop it as soon as possible. And James, he says, hold on, be patient. The word patient, it literally means to be long-suffering, not to lose heart, to persevere through offense. And he says, listen, as hardship comes your way, I want you to be patient. Because the reality is, is we're all going to continue to have hardship thrown upon us. We're going to continue to fall into these, these challenges until Jesus returns. And so what you're going to find here is he says, be patient. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Hardship is coming your way, but you be patient. You wait well. You persevere well until he comes. And I, I love this because you know what he's doing? He's giving us the light at the end of the tunnel. Isn't that awesome? Sometimes it's hard to persevere when you don't know when it's going to end. And he says there's an end coming to all your pain. There's an end coming to the trial and the tribulation. It's when he comes. So just be patient. Just be patient until he comes back. And you guys know that I get really excited. He starts using farmer language. All right. He says, you see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Now, I'm excited because it's garden season, guys. Like I started, started yesterday prepping all my beds. We're getting ready. Got fertilizer last week. I'm like, we're getting everything. We're back into garden season. So if you're into growing things, good luck. We should talk more. But this is the season. We're, we're getting back into growing things. But here's the thing about the hobby of gardening is there's a lot of waiting. <laughs> it's like I can prep the bed yesterday. 
I have the seedlings going in my laundry room. I think my wife's okay with that, but it's full of seedlings, all right? So I have seedlings in there. We're getting everything sorted. But listen, when I put the plant into the ground, hopefully some next week, you know what I do? Wait. (laughs) I wait because there's nothing I can do or very little I can do to hurry up when that kale plant matures and I can start picking off of it. There's a certain time when it will produce, when it will be ripe, when it will be ready. I have to wait. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I have to wait for that plant to produce. But man, I'm fighting weeds. I'm fighting insects and disease. I'm fighting the weather. I still have some trial going on, but I have to wait for the plant to produce. And sometimes, even as farmers, you start seeing the plant and it's, it's not really ready, but you want to go ahead and, and harvest some, but you need to wait. <laughs> you have to wait until the, the plant is ready, until the leaf is ready. I can, I can get this much harvest, but if I wait two more weeks, then I can get this much harvest. You know, it's like, I need to wait, but, but I, want it to, like, I want to go ahead and harvest. And, and I love the analogy here because he's saying, listen, as the farmer has to wait for the plant to mature. So when we're going through trials, we have to wait and be patient. And there doesn't mean that there's not going to be challenges along the way. It doesn't mean we're going to have to have hardship, but it means that we're waiting because the end is coming and Jesus is going to come and he's going to make all the wrong things right. But we have to persevere well. We have to persevere well. He says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble. You know, we were talking about trials and grumbling, complaining against one another so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. This is a reality. We're going to be patient. Jesus is coming, and everyone will be judged by him. But he says, as an example of suffering and patience, an example of suffering with patience, right? Suffering and patience. You see how these two go together? He said, brothers, when you want, if you want to see suffering and patience, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Wow, those who were tested, those who went through trial with patience, and they remained steadfast, they remained immovable, they went through the test. He said, we call them blessed. And he said, you have heard of the steadfastness. Are you seeing this word over and over? Steadfast, steadfast, steadfast. You've heard the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The steadfastness of Job. You guys remember how he lost everything? Almost everything. If you listen to, to comedy, Christian comedy, Tim, Ho- Tim Hawkins, he does this, this little bit on, he was like, have you ever considered how Job lost everything, but like the enemy let him keep his wife? <laughs> like he took his kids, took everything else, but he let him keep his wife. Like, no, I know what I'm doing. Let him keep her. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, it'd be more challenge with her there. Uh, I'm just playing. But, but it's like there was a steadfastness to Job that he, he lost his health, he lost his children, he lost everything. And yet when the test came, he wasn't cursing God. He, he stood fast. His faith was steadfast and immovable. And so we start to see even James drawing it to a close and he's saying, look, be patient like Job. Be pa- Listen, when the suffering and the hardship come, be patient. Everything in us is saying, make the trial stop. Make the suffering stop. Make it all stop. I just want ease. 
I just want everything to go well. And James is saying, be patient. Endure well. Endure well. Turn with me just a couple pages, actually. First Peter 2. This was just in my mind this morning. So I just want to share it as we close. First Peter 2, verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Some say this is a bl- like a blessed in the sight of God. For to this, suffering, suffering for doing what's good and enduring it. He said, to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So he's like, listen, I'm calling you to this thing. Just as Jesus endured hardship, he he endured suffering, even unjustly, and yet he dealt with it with patience. He suffered well. He endured. He persevered. He said, it's to this that you've been called. Listen, I'm just going to go ahead and speak this strongly, okay? I believe in the Western church this is one major deficit that we have. You see, in the West, we have a lot of ease. We have convenience. We have a lot of things going for us. And we resist suffering and trial like the plague. And yet, it's essential to our faith. In fact, it's inevitable. It's a tool in the hand of God. And so, James, he's saying, listen, don't stiff arm trial. Don't stiff arm suffering. He said, you embrace it. You shift your mind about it. You bless God for it. You be patient in the midst of it because he's using it. He's coming and he's good. Amen. Let me read this quote to you. And team, you can go ahead and come. Henry Ward Beecher, he said this. We are always in the forge or on the anvil. For by trials, God is shaping us for higher things. I'm going to read it one more time. We are always in the forge or on the anvil. For by trials, God, he's shaping us for higher things. Beloved, listen to me. God is shaping you for higher things. He's shaping you, but he's shaping you through trials. Let us have, let, let's be those who shift the way we think. Let's have a mind shift. And let's start to count trials as joy. And when they start coming to our doorstep, let us be cognizant that there's an end coming. Let's be patient and persevere and endure. Because Jesus, he's coming for us. He's coming for us. And listen, it, I'd be amiss if I didn't mention that joy and patience are both fruit of the Spirit. And so if we think that we can have joy in trials and be patient in trials without the help of the Holy Spirit, then we got another thing coming. But in the midst of trial, as we lean upon God, even I just encourage you in prayer, Elias, a lot of this starts even in conversation as trial comes. Lord, I just lean upon you. Holy Spirit, would you bear joy and would you bear patience in me? Because I feel weak. I don't like this. It doesn't feel good, but Lord, I know that it's what you're trying to produce in me. And so trial, it should produce greater dependence on him. Amen? Greater dependence. If you would, would you stand up with me? I just think we should get out of our chairs a little bit.
hospital. Maybe today you're walking through a trial and you're thinking, I need a mind shift. Man, start reaching out to God. Maybe you just start in your own mind. Maybe if you're comfortable out loud, you just start declaring God. You, you, you declare what the situation, God, would you come and change my mind about this thing? God, thank you for this thing that I'm walking through. It doesn't feel good, but Lord, I know you're using it. I know you're good. I know you're for me. Maybe you feel impatient. And you start calling out and asking God that he would produce patience inside of us. But listen, my beloved. The way we view trials determines the way we respond to them. And we desperately need God's view of trials in our lives. Because we can resist the very thing he's trying to do. Listen, the altar's open, your seat is open, but more than anything, we just want to come before God. Maybe you just need to thank Him. Maybe you just want to worship. But guys, listen, don't miss this moment because I believe God wants to meet us. Wherever you're at, whether it's related to trials, maybe there's something more pressing in your life or in your mind that you you need to call out for, but let's just come before God right now because He wants to meet us here. If you need prayer, come to the front row. We believe in the power of prayer here, and we would love to lay our hands on you and come around you. If you need encouragement, if you're feeling low this morning and you just need some encouragement, listen, this is what the body of Christ is for. When I'm low, I have someone to come alongside and to walk with me and to strengthen me and to speak life into me because sometimes I need that. But we want to be the body of Christ. We want to come alongside one another. So if you need ministry, come to the front. Besides that, let's worship God. Amen. He's the God who's with us in the fire. He's the God who's, who walks with us in the storm, who's faithful and kind. Jesus, we bless your name today. We worship you, faithful one. We thank you that you're good today, and there's nothing that changes that. Our circumstance, the headlines, God, there's nothing that changes your goodness. God, I ask that you would shift our thinking, that you would shift our minds this morning. God, that we begin to see trials and hardship the way you see them. God, that we begin to count it as joy. God, that we would begin to walk with patience. But God, that we would cling to the truth of who you are, that you're good and that you're kind. Lord, even now, we just give this time into your hands. Holy Spirit, would you minister to us? Would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us? We ask in Jesus' name.